Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of the Catholics Against Militarism podcast. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We have with us today as our special guest, Father McCarthy. Welcome back, Father. Ah, thank you, Ellen. I'm always glad to be here. All right. Well, I kind of warned you before we started that I did, um, well, I'm in the middle of exams and grading a lot of papers. So I did very little prep for this podcast. Um, but I do think it's apropos that it's, you know, Finnegan and McCarthy on St. Patrick's Day. We're bringing the Irish spirit to this podcast for sure. Well, we're bringing the, the genetics anyway, you know. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm drinking a Guinness right now. I don't know about you. Um, but yeah. You, you drink at work? Um, well, you know, I'm at home right now. So I normally. You're no, drinking I'm, alone at home? <laughs> no, and of course my husband's here, you know. Oh, oh okay. Well, that's, uh, is he drinking a Guinness? Well, he's drinking alone in the basement because I'm doing a podcast. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> that, that's how you build relationships. Let me tell you, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah, but anyway, so I was I was eager to get you on the podcast because, um, you know, every, we, Americans, we love uh, St. Patrick's Day. But I, I have to be honest, I know very little about St. Patrick. But I do have with me this icon of St. Patrick that I got from you many years ago. It's an icon of St. Patrick in Leitner of Ireland and beyond. Um, and there's a quote on here that says, killing cannot be with Christ. And apparently that's from um, something he wrote, which I tried to look up on the Internet, but it was all in Latin, so I couldn't read it. But I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about this icon and St. Patrick and why his scroll says killing cannot be with Christ. Oh, OK. Um, or we could just sing Irish songs. We, we will do it. Uh, Ellen, don't go <laughs> rushing me now. I'm, I'm trying to give you a I'm trying to give you an intelligence answer here now. Okay. Should I, should I do this whole thing with a brogue? I could do that. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I made the icon. I created the icon. That's the icon. And anyone can get it just by writing you or, or Barbarian or someone that's just there for free if they want a copy of it. Or they can get it on the computer. It's it's on my website and maybe they'll even see it on this podcast. You can put it up on the on the uh, video part of it. Yeah. But anyway, the Latin that you read was homicida non potest esse cum Christo. That's the Latin. And the English translation is killing to, cannot be with Christ. Now, St. Patrick is Saint Patrick is is so overloaded with hagiography. It's 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 amazing that he still exists. You know, he's a shell of himself as far as what we do and what we know about him and so forth and so on. And there's all kinds of legends and fairy tales and you know what, who knows what about St. Patrick. Yeah. But. There are, in fact, first of all, there was a St. Patrick. That's no doubt about that. And he died in, in 432 A.D. And the only things we have that are truly and, and decidedly and in terms of scholarship, definitively, his own writings are two small works. One is called Confessio. And the other is called Epistola, see? 
Now, the the pistola, the whole name of it is Pistola Armilites Corotisi. Now, it's a letter. A pistol is a letter, huh? And it's and, and it's it's written to some Irish militants. Saint Patrick writes in that letter. Now, this is his writing. Now, this is. This is not after the fact. This is not any of the hagiography or the legend or the fantasy or the, the, the puffing him up, you know, with hyperbole and exaggeration and so forth. These are his actual words. Homicida non potestes se cum Christo. Killing cannot be with Christ. So, in terms of those, those two really uh, undeniable writings of his, it seems that he was really a good man, a good Christian man, not just in terms of, of violence and so forth, but in terms of just just really being a good Christian man. So they were you say they were Irish militants. Like, do you know anything about what was going on in Ireland at, in the four in 400 A.D. that might have caused him to write that to those people? What, what should we call it here? We'll, we'll, we'll say that. Uh, will say that what was going on was that as has been the history of Ireland since since the recorded history of Ireland, people were fighting, a pre-Christian history also, people were fighting and killing each other. And that and, and that was going on here. Huh? And uh, and what was taking place is that in this particular case, the people who were fighting and killing each other were Christian. And Patrick, he uh, he just did not uh, think this was the thing to be doing, you know. And so that's why that's why he wrote here and, and, and try to lead them down another road and try to tell them, you know, that 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 this was not. What they should be doing, and like a good pastor, huh? like a good pastor, he he just uh, he he just told them, and um, he's trying to do what's right for them. People people killing each other, and tribes killing each other, and people killing each other. Uh, this is this this was nothing new to Ireland, as as quite frankly, Ellen. Most of Christian history is filled country after country. Doesn't make much difference where it was was filled with these kinds of things. And this was true in Ireland, you know, and it wasn't it, it wasn't that they were angry at each other. It's just that this was the other gang, you know, this was the other group. And um, those stories abound in Ireland and factually true, too, as they are in other countries. Well, anyway, that's the world of St. Patrick. And and that's been pretty much the world of Ireland ever since, you know, and not just since, but before. And uh, one one can talk about one can talk about why that was and all kinds of other things, but that's just just the way it was. And Saint Patrick, who evidently understood that baptized people, but there's still a process that has to go on afterwards. In this particular letter, uh, <clears throat> he says that uh, he, he he says you can't be with Christ and be killing people. And that was all, but that, that's all been but forgotten, you know. And uh, you never hear that. You never, I guess a couple, no, two, three, four years ago at the St. Patrick's Parade in Boston, 
some friends of mine, I, I we, we, we got together. I didn't march in the parade, but they did. And uh, just because the parade was as it is in Dublin and other places, loaded with militaries and tanks and this, that, and the other thing. I'm not interested in that. But uh, they got together and they uh, they wrote this as a sign, you know. Uh, uh, killing cannot be with Christ, St. Patrick. And so they go all through this route where everyone is Irish Catholic, more or less, and a lot of other spectators. But no one ever heard of that. No one ever, and no one ever hears of it today. So I made the icon up, created it, and put that on the scroll in it because uh, I think it's something that should be known about St. Patrick. And just one little technical point, just to make it clear. The words are homicida non potest esse cum Christo. The word is homicia, Latin for killing. When the icon went out over to Ireland with, some, with quite a few people on a card and other places here, some people wrote back that St. Patrick really said murder cannot be with Christ. That's not right. so. The word homicia means killing. Mm. It's not murder. And can I, I'll put another parenthesis in here now as well as while we're talking about it because your, your audience might be interested. Do you know that something like 85% of the Bibles and the various churches, which means most of the churches, translate the commandment, the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill as thou shalt not murder. That has all occurred since the beginning of the 20th century. The commandment is not thou shalt not murder, it's thou shalt not kill. And the reason they do that is because murder is defined as unjustified killing. Whereas the commandment is don't kill. Just it, the, the interpretation of it given by rabbis and, and people, etc., priests and ministers, and that, is that it means thou shalt not murder. But the actual Hebrew words are kill. And the Greek words too, kill. Thou shalt, by the way, it, the one church that does not make that change and the one church that has more reason to make it than any other is the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church retains all Old Testament and New Testament references to the commandments as thou shalt not kill, including how Jesus talks about them. Oh, and that's good. That, that's, that, that's incredible, really, but it's true. Huh? Just because the scholarship does not allow in the actual text, killing to be changed to murder. The interpretation is murder. The words are killing. Well, with St. Patrick, that's what happened here too. Homicida, they wanted to translate as murder, not killing. And there's another word for homicida, uh, for, for, for killing. And so that be the case, killing cannot be with Christ. Uh, and remember, Patrick wrote in Latin, killing cannot be with Christ is what Patrick said, and that is, that's impressive. But it's lost, and uh, 
and all the hagiography and the fantasy and all the other stuff. And I think that its loss can be felt in the way that Irish Catholicism has developed, just being another one of the violent forms of Constantinian Christianity. Can I ask, in the original Latin, I mean, I don't, I don't know any other languages, but in Greek or Hebrew or Latin, is, are the, is there another, I'm wondering if maybe there's just one word that means both killing and murder, so they, they have an option to interpret it either way, or is the case that there is another word that he could have used that would have meant murder, but he didn't use that one? Do you know what I mean? Oh, oh, I, I, I absolutely, positively understand you, Ellen. You're genius, right there, huh? Genius. Now I tell you, this is the, and you teach Latin, don't you? No. No, you don't teach Latin, but you have a lot of people in your class that study Latin. Yeah, my students, a lot of them, they they study sure. Latin. Yeah. Sure. That I mean, that's a, that that that's a big thing. Um. Oh no. Now, so let me, let, let let me just see if I can answer it this way. First of all, first of all, in English now, and in just about all languages, the difference in as far as activity between murder and just killing is, is significant, huh? The difference between aiming a gun at someone because he is going to take your wallet and killing him that that there would be considered justified homicide, homicida, and acceptable. Now, in reality, in law, huh, it, it would it would be a totally different thing. If you killed someone and someone was trying to kill you, you wouldn't be guilty of anything. Yeah. It would be justified homicide, which is justified murder, huh? The word for murder in Latin is occidentum. Occidentum, not homicida. Ah, okay. So St. Patrick very well could have written that if he wanted to. Uh, that's that's a tricky question. Uh, because, yes, he could have written that if he wanted to. And the thing is, as you know with English, being a summa cum laude English major from that wonderful inst Catholic institution, Boston College, <laughs> Uh, language by necessity is always changing. And therefore, for example, when we use the word honest today, and I, and, and I say that, that he's an honest man or she's an honest woman, we mean that they don't cheat or don't steal, that sort of thing, right? Whereas back in Elizabethan times with, uh, with Bill Shakespeare, when he uses the word honest, and because it's what the word meant in that time, it, it meant sexually pure. So, honest today does not mean what it meant 400 years ago in Elizabethan times. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, so it, and so it is without direct access to someone who knows that, that era of, um, of Latin. What was spoken at that time uh, in that context, by those people, or understood by those people, uh, it, it would be difficult to say whether whether homicidum, which is you know the noun, whether, whether that could be 
uh, or should be translated homicide, manslaughter, or murder, for example. But what is also true is that there's no doubt that homicidum, even then, was homicide, not murder, and that there was another word for murder. So that's what we're that's where we're at. All right. Now remember. It's not important what St. Patrick said to the Christian. It's important what Jesus said. To the extent that a saint is a saint, a saint is a saint because a saint is a sinner. If the saint is in heaven, that's we, we applaud that 100%, and we don't deny anyone going to heaven. But to use Dorothy Day's phrase, if we follow a saint in what they do that's not Christ-like, we go to hell. So we can't use the saint as the ultimate determiner of what our faith is to the extent that any saint's activity is not in conformity with loving as Christ's love, with the, with the person, words, and deeds of Jesus. Uh, the Christian shouldn't be following it. That makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting that St. Patrick is the, this quintessential saint of Ireland. Um, we Nobody knows that he wrote this or said this, but like we always associate the Irish with the fighting Irish, you know? I think it's kind of interesting, you know, that the university I graduated from, the University of Notre Dame, you know, its symbol to this day is a leprechaun with his dukes up, you know, fighting. Mm -hmm. And under the fighting Irish is the, is the logo, you know? And, um, you know, in all these other places, you know, for example, American Indians are, are, are outraged at the, at the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians using, using tomahawks and, and just their name, you know, to represent sports teams and so forth. And that goes on all over the place. I mean, um, uh, all kinds of groups, you know, are very, are very sensitive to, uh, to, the, to the misuse of their name to, to represent something and what, what they are. But I haven't heard any complaints from the Irish about fighting Irish. Right, because I think that's something that people tend to be proud of. It's like, proud of? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Are we ever proud of it? Oh, oh, Jesus, God almighty. Boy, of course, you're proud of it. They're proud of it. You know, I mean, Robert, uh, it's a tribute to the Robert Kennedy, but I grew up with the same saying, you know, that, that uh, your task is... Not to get mad, but get even, you know? Of course it is. What else is there? Justice. What a sense of justice we have as Irish people, you know? We do know that none of us, none of us go to go, go take our last breath saying, God, have justice on me. Right. Now, if we want mercy from, if, if we want mercy from God, you know, we might want to think about, shouldn't we be giving it to other people? But, but, but justice is pretty much the, just, just this is what a, a, Irish Christianity is all about, you know. At least when I was growing up, and maybe it's changed a little bit, a little bit recently. But you know, it's it, it a terrible form of Christianity, you know, Irish Christianity, Irish Catholicism. Let me be more particular. Why? Because it didn't become a terrible form all by itself. It's the brutal, bloody British that caused it. I mean, we don't give, we just do not tell the truth about what England was for a large, for 500 more years of its existence, you know? 
who knows who who knows that the first aerial bombing of people was done by England to the to the in, to the Indians in India. And uh, we we don't know these things. Who knows what a bloody person Winston Churchill was in relation to the people of India, and that the man that did the first aerial bombing to human beings in India was the man that led bomber command, uh, Arthur Harris, that that firestorm Cologne and Dresden. No, we we just the British were a bloody bloody group. Now, by that I mean I don't mean the British people. The British people are no more in control of, of what the what the elites and, and politics and government do and, and economics do in their country than the American people are in control of what the elites and politics, economics and government do in, 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 in this country. They go about their way and they they do what they have to do to to advance themselves. But but it was a bloody, bloody country for 500 years. And no, no place was it bloodier and more misery and more created more misery per per square foot than in Ireland. It, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, there's no difference, no difference between the 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 the, the Holocaust that the Jews Jewish people endured and what the Irish people endured from the British for all those years. It was just brutal, absolutely brutal. At one point, they hanged, not hanged, uh, yeah, hanged, I guess, or crucified, if you want to say. Uh, every, uh, between Dublin and, I think it was Dublin and Navarre, Navarre an Irishman, uh, every mile, publicly, as rebellion, you know. And what they did in terms of crops and taking the land, and it's just terrible. But anyway... One of the things they did was, of course, there was a great hatred between the Anglicans, the Episcopalians in our language, and the Irish Catholics, or Catholics. And the hatred was basically uh, not because of the Irish people, but it was a hatred between the head of the uh, Anglican Church, Henry VIII, and the head of the Catholic Church, the Pope. And after him, his ancestors, and, they, and after the Pope, his, uh, his followers. But anyway, at one point in the process, all the seminaries and so forth in Ireland were closed down. No more priests were going to be trained in Ireland. And this was a time when the Jansenist uh, theology, which has been now condemned by the church, was running rampant all over France, which is where the Irish boys went to be trained as priests. Now, Jansenism, as you know, was that theology that just about everyone went to hell you couldn't perform a good act more more or less very rarely you know it was a brutal um a brutal kind of morality and a brutal kind of uh of, of theology to talk about laying heavy burdens on people and not lifting your fingers it just just became for ordinary people a source of uh, just turning Christianity into the good news, into the bad news. Mm. And so all the Irish priests were trained at that moment in time in Jansenist seminaries in France. Then they came back, and of course, they still had to practice the faith in, in, uh, in, in clandestinely, you know, and we, 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 you know, there's rocks that were mass rocks and so forth and so on that's still there. But 
eventually, eventually the faith was tolerated, but, but these are the people and their subsequent people that they've nurtured who became the bishops of Ireland, and by extension, parenthetically, became the primary source of bishops in, for the immigrants in the United States because the Irish could speak English. And when the large immigration from Ireland began to take place, starting about the 1840s to, to the United States, all along came the Irish bishops with them, all of whom were trained in the Jansenism of France, which was subsequently condemned as a form of rigorism. And of course, they imparted to the Irish immigrants in the United States and then their children the other kind of, the other, that, that bizarre, ugly form of um, an interpretation of Christianity that, 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 that was brutal and penal and uh, uh, legalistic and, and, and in the extreme. And so that became, that became Irish Catholicism. And that became Irish, Irish American Catholicism by extension. Right. I mean, I heard stories from my dad who, you know, went to a Irish Catholic parish and, you know, grew up in that whole environment of like, you know, getting hit and slapped with rulers and stuff. And it was like really violent too. like it's a lot of those Catholic schools. That's not just a stereotype. And I and I think you've told me before that you experienced that, too. Oh, ab 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 absolutely. I, I went into high school every morning in. Uh, in a defensive mode in a defensive mode, yeah, defensive against violence, uh, yeah. not only from the teachers, but from the other kids. I mean, violence was the, uh, violence was the uh, activity du jour, which could erupt at any time. And from, there was like a lot of corporal punishment from your teachers and well, stuff? I mean, there was no uh, taking a kid out, out to the barn and spanking him. It was banging him on the face, banging his head against the desk, bang, hitting, hitting his back and his arm with your fist. Yeah, no, this was, uh, I'm not saying that these, uh, that these, that any of these people ever thought they were doing anything wrong. This is how they were brought up as to what you're supposed to be. And so you're saying that this is related, it's because of the training of the Irish priests and bishops in France during a time before Jansenism had been condemned and was more accepted. Right. And it all came over to Ireland, and it spread through the people, and the people nurtured their children in it. Let me tell you a story. This this happened. This actually happened, and this would have been sometime in the 1990s. <coughs> I've, I've made maybe 12, 13 trips to Ireland over the years, back to the old country, the old sod, as they say. <laughs> and all of them were pretty much to give retreats on gospel nonviolence. Well, anyway... Anyway, I was sitting in a house in, after one of these retreats was over, and uh, a family house, and the, and the person there had organized a small rosary group, about nine people, huh? And they did. They came and said the rosary every Tuesday or whatever it was. So I was there, and I sat and said the rosary with them, you know? And after it, they had tea and biscuits and so forth, and it was all very nice, but but since I was a priest, they 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 thought I knew something about God, and um, when I really know just something about the New Testament, because all I know about God comes through Jesus of the New Testament, and my relationship to Him. But anyway, so we start talking religion, as they say. 
and and we get on this thing about how how uh, so many people in the modern Irish church, younger people, were leaving the church because they they couldn't tolerate what they were hearing. So I was just listening to people, and then one of the women there, very I'm just nice woman. I she I think I don't think she said a thing all night at the rosary. She said, she said. Well, let me tell you, maybe they're right. She said, I want to tell you something now. She says, my father, now dead, God rest his soul. He raised seven children. And he worked every day of his life, practically, every Monday through Saturday. And sometimes he worked a couple of different places. And he brought his check home to my mother. And yeah, he went to the pub, but he wasn't a drunkard, you know. And and he never he, he was not a violent man although although he gave some of us the switch once in a while. She said, but when he died, my brothers and sisters were at his bedside, and he said to us, on his deathbed, when you're having supper tonight, I'll be in hell. And everyone in the room knew where that came from came from being brought up in a terrible, terrible uh, uh, juridical, penalty-oriented, um, with God, God being an agent of judgment like a district court judge, with God being king, which Jesus never calls him, Jesus calls him Father, Abba, instead of Father, with 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 God refusing to forgive unless the most minute detail of a ritual was uh, was adhered to. Mm. It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. I'll, you, I'll go tell you another story along the same lines now because you guys listeners that listen to this stuff and this is a, this is a curse in the church, a real curse. And it hasn't stopped, by the way, because, because in psychiatry... That form of OCD, obsessive compulsive compulsive disorder called scruples, uh huh, is called a Catholic disease. Oh, really? Yes. I never knew that. Yes, but anyway, there was this nun, and I did I I knew her, but I didn't know her. I just knew her in passing. And she had been a nun for sixty years, and she was I think in her late well middle middle eighties, let's say. And she had had cancer for quite a while, and it was really a painful, and, and, and they were having terrible times just keeping the pain in control in some way. And, and the fact is that, that this, this cancer should have killed her six months ago. And, and she was alive, although she was suffering terribly and, and couldn't do anything, just suffer. But she had a consciousness about it. And... Uh, and anyway, this friend of mine, who was a priest, and that didn't know her at all, but often went to that hospice, that nun's hospice situation she was in, just to pray with people and give last rites. He went there one day, and the nurses at the place doctor told her what the story was. She, she should be dead, but she's just hanging on 
just by raw will. And, and the pain is terrible and so forth and so So anyway, <clears throat> he had never met her or anything like that. And, um, and, and, and he said, you know, he talked to her about after, by the way, he came back three or four times before this happened to her because he felt sorry that the pain. That, anyway, he said to her at this one time, this third or fourth time down, he said, sister, you've been a sister for 60 years. You've lived a good life. You've taken care of people. You've, you've. You've you've uh, given up so much. You've done what God asked. Um, she's, he, he said, "Why don't you just please?" She says, "Please, just just trust God now and leave it all in the hands of God. Just 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 relax and say, God, you take what you want to take. You take me when you want to take me. I'm yours, and, and and just rest in that." And she said to him. Now, this is not confession. This is outside confession, everything else. She said to him, 60 years are done. And she said, I can't die because I'm afraid of my judgment. Wow. This, I'm telling you, this is not the way people in other countries Italy or Germany or, 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 or I don't know, France or any, any, of the other, any of the other countries. This is not the way that the experience of Catholicism results in. Just It just isn't the way at all. But it, yeah. is, it is the way that came from the Jansenist heresy through Ireland, through the Irish Catholic bishops in the United States, who at one time were over 80% of the bishops in the United States just because they could speak the language and they had the education. Oh, oh, okay. So, so uh, you know, you go up and down the list of, of, of bishops and archbishops and cardinals, you know, and, uh, and it reads like the Dublin telephone book. We all know that when you were full of all that bad stuff, it really, it really alters your mind, your consciousness, your brain, your neurological structure. Living under the, living under basically the eternal threat that God is standing around every corner, ready to condemn you to hell forever. In other words, people were taught fear, 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 fear. I can honestly say, I can honestly say. I didn't have the slightest notion after what, 21 years of Catholic education of God is love. God was, God was like a terrorist to be feared. One mistake and you were, you were in flames and agony forever. And I had all of those images in my mind from childhood. See, that's, that's really, it's interesting because I grew up in, I went to Catholic school in the 80s up until about, I was in sixth grade. And it was just this like, really, I mean, a lot of people make fun of this. I, I hear a lot of traditional conservative Catholics making fun of, you know, the typical stereotype is the felt banners, right? Like the felt banners with the rainbows and the puppy dogs and the sunshine and God loves you and Jesus loves you. And and when they make fun of that style or whatever of Catholicism, like I know exactly what they're talking about because that's what I grew up in. Um, but, you know, and, and people make fun of that 
as if the church lost something in all of that. But do you think that some of that was just the pendulum swinging, you know, maybe from one extreme to the other? Because I didn't grow up with any of that fire and brimstone stuff. But um, I mean, that seed was always planted in me, you know, that, that God is love and that God does forgive and there is mercy. And I think if that seed hadn't been planted in me, I I mean, I kind of fell away from the church when I was younger. I, I probably would not have been drawn back to it. Um, so I don't know when people make fun of the felt banners and everything and the, the padded kneelers and the kind of suburban 80s church or whatever. I, I have good memories of that. And um, do you think that was just like the pendulum swinging in the other direction to try to compensate for this style of Catholicism that you're that you're talking about? Well, it wasn't the pendulum swinging. It was the pendulum being pushed and pushed and pushed by uh, by scholarship and by people in general. Second Vatican Council is the is the uh, is 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 what changed things, huh? Uh, the Second Vatican Council, uh, for all practical purposes, um, it did all kinds of things that just just undermine those those cultural nurtured deeply nurtured embedded perceptions of catholicism this is as true as you can imagine i used to i heard for my whole life uh, 21 years that there are two sources of revelation scripture and tradition that's the vatican council said that's not so there's one source of revelation god there were two streams of it, scripture and tradition that are compatible. That's different, huh? And that's a minor thing. That's a minor thing. Uh, even going from Holy Ghost to Holy Spirit, that was a big deal, you know? I know people in my mother's generation that wouldn't do it. They were brought up Catholic. They were going to die Catholic with the Holy Ghost. But these things were so deeply embedded that they were just not thought of. I'm telling you, anyone that wants to return to the old Catholic Church, the old traditional Catholic Church, I'm happy. I, I would be delighted if that if that only meant the uh, the Tridentine Mass. I love the Tridentine Mass. I enjoyed the Trinity. I can say it inside and out. Hmm? At one time, I could say it backwards in Latin and get a statue for it from the Monsignor. But you don't want. No one wants to go back to that church. Where people ruled, uh, people, priests, bishops, nuns even, people ruled other people, ruled them, ruled their behavior, controlled them with God as their terrorist to hurt them if you didn't do what the priest or the nun, the whoever it was said, bishop. Well, I, now I'm telling you, Ellen, I, I'm, I, I'm telling horror stories here. And I can tell you also that there were good things, good things about the uh, good things about the people and the way the church operated, et cetera, et cetera, in those days. And I'm telling you also that those good things partially made me what I am now. Hi, folks. So we're going to wrap up our discussion on St. Patrick's Day here. The conversation actually went on for another hour, and we ended up talking about the Sacrament of Confession, which was a super interesting discussion, but I think I'll save that for another podcast. So we will return and end this one with a little ditty. Uh, oh, Ellen, 
Here it is, St. Patrick's Day. Now, I want to hear you sing a good Irish song. I would never torture my listeners <laughs> by singing. By singing. But you, I, what's that song you sang to me once about Finnegan? Oh, Finnegan. Yeah, Michael Finnegan beginning again. Yeah. Yeah, let's hear that. Oh, you, you, it was good. It was beautiful. I was, I, 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 I would have recorded it if I had. If I, if oh, I had. yeah, I'm sure it was recording worthy. Well, I'd love to hear you as a good closing. Uh, you should, I would love to hear you sing, what is it, Tura, 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 Lura, Tura, or something? It's a lullaby, right? You're getting things confused here, Ellen. Torah, Torah, Torah are the words an admiral of the uh, Japanese Pacific fleet used to set off the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Oh. <laughs> he spoke them. He, he, it was last words to the, to the people sitting in the planes, the Japanese people sitting in the planes to, uh, to leave the deck of the carriers and go bomb Pearl Harbor. Torah, Torah, Torah. What did that mean? Torah, Torah, so I think it means kill, kill, kill. Oh, oh, well, that's not appropriate for this. No, no. What I, what I was, what you were talking about was that marvelous, beautiful Irish lullaby that every Irish mother sings to her own children and to her grandchildren that was sung to me in the cradle and beyond. And even that I heard my father sing to, 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 to over and over and over again. And of course, and of course, the one that sang it uh, as if he were one of the choirs of angels <laughs> was Big Crosby. Oh, he made it a classic, did he? Oh, he, he sang it for us. Oh, he made it a classic. Okay, I'm going to sing it to you now. We'll close on this note on St. Patrick's Day. And by the way, at eight years old, my, my voice is not quite what it was down in the pub at 21, you know. Totally spectacular. I think you should say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Over in Kehlani Many years ago Me mother sang a song to me In terms so slight and low Twas a simple little ditty in a dear old fashioned way, and gee, but I would give the world to hear that song today. Now don't you cry Is it Irish lullaby? Happy St. Patrick's Day to the Finnegans. Happy St. Patrick's Day there, Charlie. Okay, now. 
All right. We'll God talk to bless. you soon. God bless right. you, say. Goodbye, lad. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great night. Thanks, Charlie. Bye-bye, Ellen.